Welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club, a podcast that asks the hard questions about leadership. And today we're talking about lazy leadership. And I'm joined as always by my co-host and friend, Ben Wales. Good morning, Ben. How are you? I'm all right, Ian. That's a good question, isn't it? How are you? The real answer is that my father passed away a few days ago, so I've got that going on sort of inside my head, um, thinking of him a lot. And also, it's an interesting time, isn't it? The end of 2020, the year that revealed itself to be an Annus Horribilis, but so many people have achieved so much during 2020 in, in ways they hadn't expected they surprised themselves there's been good and bad and we're at this weird point i think people out there they don't know whether to feel good or bad we're sort of locked down again but many things are carrying on we've got vaccination starting three households for christmas how's that going to work is it going to work i think it's a really interesting time i agree it's really odd isn't it coming up to christmas I, I love Christmas, as I know you do, and getting together with a family. And we're all making those terrible decisions about who out of our family can join the, you know, the three households. What kind of bubble are we going to have? Can we see grandma or not? And is that awful to do that? Or is it awful not to do that? And the conversations I'm having with some of the people I'm coaching are all around that. You know, that we've gone away from business now, which has been tough enough as a year. But now it's uh, what decisions do I make over bringing together my family for Christmas, which is not the decision they expected at the beginning of the year, that's for sure. No, definitely not. But for my part, Grandma is coming to us for Christmas. Excellent. Good. That's great news. Now, before we get into lazy leadership, we always start with what we've noticed. So Ben, what have you been noticing recently? Well, just this week, Chuck Yeager died, age 97. And of course, if we go back Oh, 70 odd years, 1947. He was the man that broke the sound barrier for the first time in an X-1 rocket plane dropped from the belly of a B-29 bomber somewhere above the Mojave Desert. He had a bunch of broken ribs at the time. He'd fallen off a horse a couple of weeks before. And I was thinking about Jaeger, this pioneer. And, you know, I was finding it hard to reconcile that life with today. It's so different. There was the American dream. He was uh, in his early 20s and he went on to... Uh, achieved so many firsts as a pilot, including he later became the the first person to travel at two and a half times the speed of sound. And I've been reading a few of the the obituaries, uh, and I'm still not sure that I'm able to close the gap between his life then in that dream period and today. But he said he said a couple of things that got me thinking. And one is, and this was much later in his life, he says. I haven't yet done everything, but by the time I'm finished, I won't have missed much. (laughs) That's really nice. And and we can all take all sorts of meanings from that. And something else he said, and this is from just after when he broke the sound barrier. He said, after all the anticipation to achieve this moment, it was really a letdown. And there should have been a bump in the road, something to let you know that you just punched a nice clean hole through the sonic barrier. And that resonated. So often what we strive for, what we achieve, it happens quietly. There's nobody there to see it. You know, for him, there was literally nobody there to see it. And and he goes on to say the real barrier wasn't in the sky, but in our knowledge and experience of supersonic flight. 
Wow. Yeah. What a cle clever and interesting man. Uh, it, it, you've inspired me to go and, go and read about this guy. He sounds quite something. Well, I'll tell you what, Ian, I'm about to order uh, his biography. So I'll order one and send it to you as well. Happy Christmas. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> you've started that early. Okay. I'm going to get my act together on that one. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. That's very kind. So you're going to update us on GridServe as well, I think. Yeah, GridServe. We mentioned them two or three episodes ago. And earlier this week, GridServe, they opened it. They've opened the first electric forecourt in the UK. It's open for business. When I eventually get my electric car, delivery date is slipping and slipping and slipping. But it's coming next week. I can go and check that out. Tonington Harper and the team, huge, huge congratulations. And... Do you know what? So I visited the GridServe website. It's changed totally in the last six weeks. And at the same time as opening the, the first electric forecourt, which is part of a £1 billion programme, I mean, it's massive. At the same time, they've launched the UK's first net zero emissions electric vehicle leasing service. It just goes to show, you know, that vision to move the needle on climate change is just driving them to do more and more as if an electric forecourt wasn't enough. Brilliant. Brilliant. Congratulations, guys. Good news that we want as well, isn't it? And you're going to get one of the new number plates with the green line around it, are you? I haven't thought about that. I guess I am. One of the first. Well, uh, what have I been noticing? A few years back now, I read a book by a guy called Tony Shea, a book called Delivering Happiness. And I know You've read it. A lot of people have read it. It's one of those books that when I asked people in one of my visited groups last month to say who was the hero of theirs, one of the guys around the table said Tony Shea. And, and we talked a bit about him. It reminded me of him. And Tony Shea has died. And he died in a house fire, tragically, at the age of 47. But what did he do? Well, he, he was very smart, worked very hard as a kid, went to Harvard, I got a computer science degree and then after a time with Oracle, which you didn't enjoy, founded, co-founded Link Exchange and then sold that to Microsoft for a huge amount of money. I think it was 265 million or something in, in his late 20s, became a venture capitalist and was looking around for how to, where to put his money. And he kept coming across a company called, well, it wasn't called Zappos at the time. I can't remember what it was called at the time, but it eventually became Zappos. But it was selling online shoes. And he kept looking at that thinking, mm, not sure, not sure. And he was starting to run out of money. At least that's how the book explains it. I'm sure it's all relative, isn't it? But eventually he said, you know what? I think this has got uh, got legs or feet because it was online shoes. And, and he invested his last money into it and became CEO as well. So he put his money where his mouth is. And in the first year, I think they turned over uh, just over a million dollars. Nine years later, it was turning over a billion dollars and they'd moved to Vegas. They had built a company based on the culture he didn't have in Link Exchange. There's a, there's a, a story in the book where Tony Shea's in a hotel with some other directors and it's late at night. They've had a few drinks and one of the directors said they fancy a pizza. So they find out the hotel can't deliver pizzas. It's too late or they don't do pizzas. It was probably a high class hotel. didn't do them. So Tony said, ring Zappos, because they're open 24 hours because they work in different time zones. And the lady in question, the other company said, what, what do you mean ring Zappos, Tony? You don't sell pizzas. He says, no, try it. And because Zappos's culture was all about delivering happiness, which is the name of the book. So, so this lady picked up the phone to Zappos and said, hello, I'd like to order a pizza, please. And the chap on the other end of the phone says, what kind would you like? And that just, that story blew me away because 
the person actually helped them to order a pizza to their room. And that was the culture he was trying to create in Zappos. It was all about going the extra mile, staying on the phone longer, creating a relationship. And they created an amazing organization, which eventually sold to Amazon for 1.2 billion. A lot of people don't know that because it still kept the culture there. I know I met a chap we both know, Paul Martin, went out to, to Zappos in, in Vegas and he visited them and said they were amazing. And the other thing about Zappos, of course, and we haven't touched on this, but they adopted a structure called Holacracy. And Holacracy is about self-empowered teams and they've got, and they call them circles. And they've got about 300 circles across Holacracy now. And it really caused waves when they introduced it because it abolished managers, which is what Holacracy does. So, and it was taking a risk. You know, here was a guy built a big business going very well, took a massive risk. So he was prepared to take risks in his business life to make it what he wanted to do. Everyone pretty much loved him, I think, in, in Zappos. He also put a huge amount of money into downtown Vegas towards the in the last few years and tried to reinvigorate downtown Vegas. So amazing guy, a great story. So sad when people like that pass away and, and they haven't kind of fulfilled all the things they could do with their life and their dreams and the energy he had. So yeah, kind of kind of a bit sad really. Yeah, it's a good book. For me, a successful experiment in culture and lots of great ideas that we can take from delivering happiness. Culture books, for example, and some failed ideas as well. Halacracy, it's not a rip-roaring success. There's arguments for and against. I think they backed out of it later on. When I heard that Tony had died, I was thinking, what's the real story here? And I suppose what he did, you know, that 1 million to 1 billion in in nine years, what he actually did, what all of this did, that culture and all of the experiments and the things that Zappos pioneered, what it actually did was it made people comfortable uh, and secure to to shop online. And they grabbed a giant market share. And, you know, that was the one thing at the heart of it. But yeah, it's one of my go-to books for culture. It creates that uh, reference point that's so useful. Yeah, there's a great, some great lessons in there for leaders, you know, the resilience, the the take a chance, the try new things, believe in yourself, surround yourself by good people. Yeah, lots lots of great lessons. So yeah, that was uh, Tony Shea. So shall we get on to the main subject? What is the main subject, Ian? Uh, introduce it. Well, the le- the main subject is lazy leadership. And what is it? It's a, uh, I, you know, I'm still getting to grips of what it might be, I suppose. I coined the phrase lazy leadership. I, th- I, I don't know if it was you and I on, the, on, on, a, on a call, Ben, talking about it or, or before that, but it wasn't long ago. And I was thinking of, of an example where you, you go to office in the morning when we always used to be able to come into the same office uh, pre-coronavirus and you open your laptop and then you go over to the coffee station and you grab yourself a coffee and your boss is there or your boss's boss is there and they turn to you and they say hi hi Ian how was your weekend and you turn around and you start telling them about the golf on Sunday the 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 night out with your friends and family on the Saturday and before you realize it they're looking at the phone or they're talking to somebody else or they've actually left the room completely with their coffee and we've all we've all seen that or done it and to me that's it's just so wrong on so many levels for leadership and and so i coined that phrase that's lazy leadership that's not taking the time to understand your people 
to understand the impact you have or could have, the opportunity you've created around the coffee station to take an interest in them, to motivate them, to praise them, to make them walk away from that situation and go, wow, what a great organization, what a great boss I've got, and go back with that energy to go and apply it back in your job. And I think too many leaders, there are too many examples of that kind of what I would now start to term leadership in organizations today. Okay, so it's about how do we show up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the definition's interesting because I kind of try to retrofit a definition into this. So I was looking at, well, what's the definition of lazy? Unwilling to use energy or make an effort in activity. And then I thought, so what's the definition of lazy leadership? Well, it's something like, and it'd be interesting to hear from any of our listeners if they've got a better definition than this one, it's something like taking the easy course of action. And that's a selfish easy course of action, not necessarily the, the, the course of action that's easy for the organization or anything, but it's kind of almost a selfish, and I'll come on to that later, I think, accepting the status quo, not rocking the boat. That's the kind of lazy leadership. I think there's lots of ways you could look at this. And it'd be, like I said, it'd be really interesting to hear from people. I'm keen, when we wrap up in a half hour or so, I'm keen to see if we've found a single idea, which is the opposite, the single idea which captures the right stuff, thinking of Chuck Yeager and the right stuff. You know, what is the right stuff for a leader? And is there a single idea that pulls that together? So let's dive in, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe if I go through a few examples of what I see as uh, lazy leadership. So bear with me. I'll start throwing some of these at you, Ben, and then you come back and we'll maybe discuss a few of these as we go. And then as we will do, we'll go all around the subject. So what did I, what did I have as the first one here? I had lazy leadership. A lazy leader would ask HR to address shortcomings with a subordinate rather than do it themselves. Or they would just say, do you know what? I don't do honest conversations with people. It's not my forte. And they just avoid them altogether. And a gritty leader would say, no, that's actually, that's really the, the center of my role. The center of my job as a leader is to have that honest conversation with somebody who works for me or around me and address those shortcomings and try and develop them and, and, and get them on the right track in the organization. Yeah, okay. So lean into the danger. That's what Patrick Lencioni would say about this. It's a good way to navigate. Does something feel uncomfortable? Does a conversation feel uncomfortable? Often it's a good sign that that's a conversation we should have. And good leaders, they learn how to have uncomfortable conversations in an effective way. Absolutely. And I, I think... Again, a phrase I picked up a while ago was normalized discomfort. And I think this is for, for leaders, good leaders, as you say, great leaders, do this as a matter of course. They know it's their job to have uncomfortable conversations. And therefore, like anything in life, the more you have the more uncomfortable conversations you have, the less uncomfortable they actually become. And if you avoid them completely, then you get to the point where you say, Well, I can't have those, I'm no good at them. But if you have them, if you if you get into them, then they be, you, get, you get better at them. Yeah, okay. Did you just say normalised discomfort? I've got to call that out because our listeners will be playing, forgive me, bullshit bingo if we start using words like normalise. But what does that actually mean? Uh, for, for me, as I leaned into uncomfortable conversations, it was really simple. They're uncomfortable for me. They're uncomfortable for them. So I would let myself be a little bit uncomfortable. And, you know, if the person you're talking to 
the other person in that conversation knows that you're equally uncomfortable, that goes a long way. Yeah, and actually you can start it with that, can't you? Look, this is not easy for me to say. I, I'm feeling uncomfortable when I talk about this, but we need to talk about it anyway. It's kind of an honest way into the conversation, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Although we need to uh, be careful not to signpost a uncomfortable conversation. Hey, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. You've just railroaded it, haven't you? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Oh, maybe you say, I'm feeling uncomfortable. (laughs) It may not be an uncomfortable conversation. But yeah, I I think it's interesting. Uh, So that's the first one I had. The second one I had, and, and there'll be many more of these examples people can come up with, a lazy leader just doesn't do any one-to-ones with team members. You know, you, the, the course, the the view on one-to-ones, you know, the old appraisal systems, which organizations have, have thrown in the bin, this kind of annual appraisal system, then it became six monthly, then it became quarterly. And now we really need to be doing a monthly sort of formal uh, appraisal. We're not calling them appraisals anymore, sort of one-to-ones. How are we doing? How are we performing against the values? And how we're we developing you as a person with with much more regularly, probably as Gallup would tell us, every seven days, a kind of catch up with how you're feeling, how you're doing against those things much more informally. I think lazy leaders, and I've seen this throughout my career, avoid those. They come up with excuses that I'm too busy. You know, the worst thing you can do, in my view, one of the worst things you can do for an employee is put up to one session in the diary and say, look, we're going to catch up, see how you're doing in your role, see how you're developing on Friday at three, and then at Friday at two, say, oh, something's cropped up, I've got to go and see a client. I mean, what does that say to your people? And to me, that's that's just, that's terribly lazy. So you, for me, again, it's how important are these to you? Are you recognizing this important? And a gritty leader would hold regular one-to-ones with everyone and make sure they're top of their list of important things to be doing. Ian, I think what I'm hearing here is the leaders with the right stuff, they are great motivators. And there's a couple of bits to that for me. And one is, I'm thinking of Brendan Hall. He was a skipper in the Clipper Round the World Yacht Race. Brilliant race where amateur sailors and professional sailors come together to crew boats around the world. He's written a book that I'm listening to right now called Team Spirit. And one of the things that Brendan says is, skippering clipper yacht and he won by the way clippering a skipper yacht is 80 percent about the people and you wouldn't think that would you think of these round the world intrepid adventurous expert sailors and yet brendan say it's 80 percent about the people i think good leaders they realize that their ceo job their founder job their leadership job at any point in the company it's 80% about the people. Yeah, and then the other thing is, yes, we need to lean into those uncomfortable conversations. Yes, we need to be having a constant conversation with with all of our people and regular one-to-ones that don't feel like one-to-ones. They're actually useful, but they're great motivators. And a good example of this, and I've got you to thank for this, Ian, because I was amused when you talked the other day about the Netflix program, The Great Race, because it wasn't Michael Jordan. So I watched it to see what had caught your attention other than Michael Jordan. Yeah, and and there's Bear Grylls in there. And I was struck by how he was motivating people in that race. And I saw it again and again. And, you know, and somebody would be just clambering over the top of a 
300 foot sheer faced waterfall that they just climbed up and and bear would be there at the top in the key moment and he would be saying wow that was so hard that was so tough you've done it that's amazing you're an inspiration you've achieved so much and keep it up you've got this and you know the next leg is a real challenge but you've got this what you're doing is amazing and I wanted to leap out of the sofa every time he did that because even I felt good at basking in the reflected glory. This 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 athlete who had bedraggled crashed onto the top of the waterfall. And good leaders, I think they're they're great at that. And you know, and it's about recognizing that simple contribution in the moment and building belief and empowering people through that. So Great Motivators is my first big headline, I think. I, I think you're right. And I think one of the things that that you, what you've just said leads me on to is lead, great, great gritty leaders, as opposed to lazy leaders, look to challenge, stretch and grow people and businesses. And lazy leaders seek stability and accept the status quo. They... Uh, and that might be through a bit of lack of confidence, but it it drains the organization. And again, it goes back a little bit, I think, to the the book by Lencioni, was it earlier this year, called The Motive, which is be careful what you ask for. You know, if you want to be a leader and you and you could go through the lazy leadership column and tick a few of them, you probably shouldn't be a leader. You know, if you're signing up for this, Leadership is gritty. It's not like you've got an option. You could be a lazy leader or you could be a gritty leader. No, no. The gritty leader column is 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 leadership and the lazy leader column isn't leadership. So I, I guess I'm being hard here, but I think so I would say from what you're saying there, you know, it, it is challenging to be in a great business. It is stretching, but you can become massively fulfilled. And so I think Gritty leaders, as, as I say, as opposed to lazy leaders, will challenge people and teams. They'll look for their shortcomings, they'll look for innovation, they'll look for creativity, new ways of working. They'll inspire people. They'll they'll make them feel they can do more, which is what Bear Grylls was doing. You know, he was saying, "I know the hardest stretch coming up, where you've got to get into this river and you've got a you've got to swim for it's like three hours in freezing temperatures, whilst you've just scaled a thousand foot waterfall." But it, but they he'd make them feel they could do it, and this is this is at the heart of of what we're talking about. A lazy leadership will just go, well, do you know what? If if you want to if you want to hang on there, you know, we're doing okay, and it wouldn't really get much inspiration going, wouldn't get much challenge going, and we take, as I said, the the easy way. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me pick up on the this challenge piece, and where I'll take that first is that the good leaders the first thing they challenge is themselves. And I don't mean just with the vision they set for the, the for the company or the organisation and the goals they set for themselves. Yeah, they tend to set stretching, motivating visions and goals. What, what I mean is they challenge themselves by asking regularly, what CEO, what leader, what founder do I need to be for this company, for this team? What do they need from me? They ask regularly, how effective am I? They find ways to gain feedback, reflect on that and and learn from it. It's a challenging question that you can ask any founder, any leader, any CEO. 
who are you to lead? And if they can really think about that and think, yeah, actually, who am I to lead? Who do I need to be as a leader? How do I measure up? Am I even 50% effective? Yeah, and how do I take that forward? Yeah, and I think to your point, I think that's it's a really good point because we do need to look in the mirror. The danger is we look in the mirror and we give ourselves the feedback that we'd like to hear. And so I think, you know, where do leaders get their feedback from to know whether they're being lazy or being gritty? And uh, for for some of us, you know, we're quite good at that. For a lot of us, we're not that good at that. And and we've all got blind spots. So I think a a great leader will will have a mentor, will have a coach, will have people who will feedback honestly to them. But also a leader will sit down with the team and say, hey, guys, how am I doing? How are we doing? How am I leading? Is this the kind of leadership we need? And he will challenge back on that as well, but he needs to feel it from the group as well because there may be some things that he's, he or she's missing. And I've, I've certainly been doing that over the years with my Vistage group where I've said to them, how am I doing as a chair, guys? And we've had a conversation around it. And, you know, because I think, you know, I think the way of looking at gritty, another way of looking at gritty versus lazy is how do we view ourselves? Are we all... Are we all not the finished art? Are we growth mindset? Do we believe we can get better tomorrow? Or do we think we're pretty good as we are? I've lived on the earth for 40, 50, 60 years. I've done all my learning. I'm fine. I'm a leader. I, w- I deserve it. I did a good job before. Or are we just, you know, are we going to get better as a leader tomorrow? You've described a bunch of, of good things to do there. And you've described a culture where it's safe and normal to feedback, to comment, to give people information about how they're doing. I think the great leaders, they go further. They realize that we all have massive blind spots from where we're standing today. There's only so much we can see. The people around us, they see one version of us. Maybe they see two or three versions of us. I But the great leaders, they seek out a surprising number of people in their circle who will feed back. And it will be other founders uh, and CEOs. It will be people that know them in other walks of life. They will involve themselves in different initiatives to get different feedback and learn about themselves. You know, one of the most valuable things that I can do as a coach is to say, I get to see stuff. And my job is to enable you to think about things in better ways and to think about new things. And so when I see something, I might tell you about it. And I might be one of the few people that will do that. We need to be seeking out that sort of feedback. And you talked about being uncomfortable earlier. How many people around us will actually give us feedback that is genuinely going to make us feel uncomfortable? Yeah, well, that comes back to your one of your pet subjects, doesn't it? Which is great questions, and great questions will make you feel a level of un, you know of discomfort. Whereas I, you know, I'm always saying to people I'm coaching when they when they're asking great questions to their their teams is you know, and you could say you could you could categorize it in a similar way: a lazy question or a gritty question. You know, and you can see the difference when you put it to somebody when you say, "Well, what are you afraid of?" and you see them just stop in their tracks and look back on you and not know where to go and and you pause and you and you leave the pause and it's a bit longer and eventually you get a great answer but that's quite a quite a ballsy question sometimes to to ask but it's a it's a gritty it's the right question it pushes people and i know this is your 
your pet subject for your forthcoming book, which you'll tell us a lot more than I've just started to, to talk about. Well, I, I wasn't particularly planning to talk about questions, but I suppose if I pick two questions for a gritty leader, one for them, one for their team or their company, for a scale-up CEO, a great question, and this was one that was really enabling for me, is with the time and resources available, how do we achieve a good outcome? And yeah, I found that such a demanding question. There's a big presupposition in there. You know, we can produce a good outcome. This isn't what can we get done with the time and resources available. It's how do we produce uh, a good outcome? And it forced me to think further than I often would have done, particularly if I was under pressure. It forced me to blast away some assumptions and think, actually, how can I, how can we produce uh, a great outcome with what we've got available to us? So that's number one. My other question is, is any sort of what if question. These are great for expanding the thinking inside an organization. Yeah. What if our number one client, something were to go wrong and we lose them? What if? What if we were the number one at what we do? What would that be like? What if Rebecca, our star, resigns next week, but she's key? What if? Are we asking enough what if questions to really expand our thinking and explore what's possible and become comfortable with the things that may challenge us along the way and to have already explored some of the answers? So those would be my two questions now that you've put me on the spot. That, they're good. And I like putting you on the spot, as you know, as you know. I think we're both quite good at that. A couple more to, to put to you before we move to the end of this podcast. One of the things, again, looking at the lazy leadership column I had in there was, and I think I said they, they kind of take the easy way out. And I think they accept the way things are done in their business and their industry as best practice. They kind of they don't look too far away. You know, they say, well, we're we're in the automobile industry. This is the way we've always done it. This is what good looks like. And we carry on doing it according to those sort of standards. I think gritty leaders look out to their business, look outside their industry, look to challenge existing norms, accept that, that, that yesterday is yesterday and tomorrow may be very different. And they learn new ways of working. I, I may have mentioned it on the last podcast, but the you're, you're a massive fan of motorsport and, and Mercedes. And I think we did touch on Total and the fact that in, in Mercedes, he's gone way outside, as all these great coaches and great leaders do, outside their industry to see what can we learn and bring back in. And he looked at the All Blacks. You can look at examples of, you know, Eddie Jones, fantastic coach of the England rugby team on Australian, who bought practices in from Japan, who bought practices in from from Pep Guardiola at Man City, and who's bought um, practices in from all sorts of industries outside of, of, of rugby union. And I, and I think this is where, this is what makes a lazy from a gritty leader as well, to, to really challenge themselves and look way outside their comfort zone, their knowledge, and find new ideas and bring them in, knowing that they may not work either. I agree. They seek out inspiration. They seek out ways to be better informed. And do do you remember um, when we were talking to Luke Fisher a couple of weeks ago? Luke, I think, put this really neatly. He said, any founder or CEO is the best informed person in the business. 
And with that comes great responsibility. Two things, the really good leaders, three things actually, as Luke does, they realize they are the best informed in the business, but they want to be better informed. So one of the things they'll do is they'll they'll look and they'll think, what are the blind spots? What are the gaps in this information? What are the biases? What's the old thinking? And how can I get better informed about all of those? And, you know, and they become unstoppable in their appetite to be better informed. And then the other thing, uh, great question that I see I, I work with, the founder of a manufacturing business. And whenever we talk about information or information comes up, he's got a great go-to question, which is, what am I going to do with this information? And I think that's a giant responsibility of any good leader. You know, we've got all of this information. I'm better informed than anyone else. As an organization, as a team, what are we doing with the information we've got? What are we doing with the information that our thinking is outdated? What are we doing with this inconvenient bit of information over here? What are we doing with our understanding of how our market is changing? Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a, it's a great question. And, and you always put great questions forward for people to, to ponder. What else would I say on my list? I would say gritty leaders recruit people better than themselves for key roles. And, and, and lazy leaders recruit people less able than themselves. I think that's a kind of obvious one to go with. You know, we need to look around us. We know from all the personality profiling where we default to as a leader. Oh, I'm a natural, you know, big picture person. I see a vision. I go for it. I'm creative. But maybe I'm not the implementer. Get an outstanding implementer, an outstanding operations person next to me that will be way better than I could ever be in that. I think the other one I'd put in here is... Just the kind of day-to-day -day stuff, because we talked about the strategic stuff, and, I, and I'm kind of formulating what's my take out of this podcast as we go along, as I'm sure you are. But on the day-to-day -day stuff also, I think when, if we take it down to a team meeting, and you think, you know, you've got your team there, whether you're running a departmental team or a leadership team, and there's some inappropriate behavior going on, or there's somebody not quite living the values of the organization, or somebody hasn't quite prepared properly for the meeting. I, I, I've seen it, and I'm sure you've where it, the easy thing is just to let that go. The hard thing, the gritty thing, the, the responsibility of a great leader is to stop that and say, because your standards, if you keep them high, they keep getting higher. If you start eroding them, they start getting lower. And I think it's for the gritty leader to challenge some of those things and say, no, that's not working out. And, and, you know, I had an instance recently in a client where they were saying about one of the directors is no matter how much they've said they're on board with something they're doing, isn't on board. And they're not calling the director out. They're just ha they're allowing the behavior to continue. And to me, that's, that's not grabbing it. That's, that's, that's lazy leadership. Beware what you tolerate because that broadcasts a message to everyone watching. And of course, if you're in a leadership position, everyone is watching. You know, uh, they say leadership is infectious. What do you want people to catch? But you're, you're talking about values here. I think it's a good topic. People are cynical uh, about values. And in so many organizations, I think the vast majority of organizations, the organization is cynical of its values. That's a key point, I think, for a good leader, uh, a gritty leader. The values start with them. 
They absolutely need to live those values, spot every opportunity to correct and call something back into line. And they understand that actually, if we're really going to live our values, we'll live them when they cost us money. Yeah, and I think there's something else here. I mean, the dilemma that's often held up is our number one salesperson is over exuberant with their expenses or or something like that. But then our number one salesperson, do we fire them? Don't we fire them? Of course, the answer is, yeah, we have to. But I think the great leader, they go further than that. They reframe these moments. So yeah, okay, that's our number one salesperson. He, she did this, they have to go. They can't be a part of what we're doing here. If they're doing that, they've got to go. But then the great leader will come back and say, by the way, why did we only have one number one salesperson? Why haven't we got 10 salespeople who are performing to that brilliant standard? And what if we had those 10? And what would that be like? And how can we get there? They're great at constantly reframing these little punctuation points in the story of any business and raising the big, important questions and reducing errors, problems, pitfalls. They reduce those to potholes on the way. They deal with them in the right way. They move on and they raise the bigger questions that are really going to propel us uh, into the future. For me, absolutely the number one custodian of the values of the organisation. But with that... How do we think around here? And I think, you know, to, your, to that, that example you just used about someone who, who's maybe playing, you know, free and loose on the, on the expenses, but is a great salesperson. If we don't make that tough call, credibility as a gritty leader is completely eroded. If we do make that tough call and people look at us and go, wow, that's not tolerated. We can't do that. That's not the way we work around here. Then I think it's also this massive opportunity for the leader, the leadership team to talk about that afterwards and not and to get to the root cause of that and to make a point of that and to say this person left for these reasons, not, be- not because we didn't like them, not because of anything else, but because they fundamentally eroded the values that underpin this business, which are so important to us. And I think some people, sometimes we miss that. You know, we, we think we can't talk about that, but that's the bit that reinforces the values, that people go, ah, yes, gosh, these are important. They're talking about them at the top of the business. Yeah, absolutely, and need to be talking about them all the time. I guess something that I was always mindful, am always mindful of, is that a business doesn't have emotions. It has a profit and loss and a balance sheet. Black numbers, or if we're unlucky, black and red numbers. Just numbers. Business doesn't have emotion. And you can look at different organisations. In some of them, the key leader doesn't have emotions either. They're not thinking about their people. And then nor does the leadership team. And you get down the, the hierarchy to line managers, and suddenly they are the interface between the business and the people and their lives and all of their emotions and hopes and wishes and dreams and hurts. And they need to accommodate that. And you end up with a bad culture because they're being driven to drive performance at any cost. The question is, where do those two meet? And I think with great leaders, it meets in that top person. You know, and they hold that tension between the PL and the balance sheet and that black and white stuff that is filed at company's house about a business that's important and is sort of supercharged if we 
you know, if we're a listed business or if we've got private equity, venture capital investment, you know, there's this massive focus on those numbers. At what point do we deal with the business being full of people? The good leaders, it starts with them. Yeah, and then they've got a leadership team that are thinking about the people and thinking about translating what the business needs to achieve and balancing that with the culture we want to have and people enjoying and being nourished and gaining by working. And of course, we achieve much more when we pull that off. So they care and they make the organisation care. They they care and they show they care. I, I, I completely agree. There was a podcast I'm I'm really enjoying at the moment. I, I mentioned to you before. It's at the table with Patrick Lencioni. He was talking about the fact that leaders. The danger with leaders is, and it's a human nature thing in a way, that we can come into a situation and we feel emotion, but we don't show it, and we think, oh, maybe we shouldn't show the emotion because it shows I'm, I'm out of control a bit. And then we bottle it up. And then we come back into another situation, same person, and we see them not doing something in the right way. We feel the emotion and we say nothing. And then it comes to the third or fourth or fifth situation where we've noticed this happening and it all comes out and it then comes out in a very uncontrollable way. So we go from no emotion to blow up. And what he was saying is, really as leaders, what we should be doing is coming in and showing emotion and showing we care, showing it's not right, showing when it's right, and displaying those sorts of emotions and passions openly with our business, rather than the way it can happen is we bottle a bit up here and the pop flies off the bottle a month later because we're, we're then out of control and we are completely frustrated by the situation. Yeah, okay. So good leaders they're good at conflicts and what you're describing is is a situation where the leader has avoided conflicts and he's avoided it repeatedly and that leads to accommodating but also there's resentment building up and then it explodes and good leaders they understand the the different ways of doing conflict they get that we can disagree productively and then to your point yeah i think that's a really neat way neat way through it something's come up it is an uncomfortable situation and we can approach that and say hey i was really surprised by this uh, i i hadn't expected this to come up i can see you're really emotional about this you feel strongly about it tell me where you're coming from i'll tell you where i'm coming from and then we'll figure out the way forward we'll figure out how to get what all three of us need you me and, and the business Good leaders can can navigate conflict that way, and you're absolutely right. They have the ability to just share their emotion right up front in a non-judgmental, matter-of-fact way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, it's funny when we started this podcast, Ben. We we weren't sure. Let's be honest with the listeners. We weren't sure how long we talk around this subject. I'm now feeling I could can talk about this, around this subject for a long time, but we do need to summarize it. We do need to say what, what, what we're taking out of this. What are your thoughts at, at this point? I mean, what are you seeing coming out of this Lazy Leadership podcast? We said at the beginning, this is about how we show up with what intent we show up as leaders. Is there one way to capture that? I've jotted headlines as we've been talking, Ian, and what have I got here? We recognise the job is 80% about the people. We challenge ourselves, ask good questions, 
avoid the philosophy trap. You know, if we've got information and we don't act on it, we're just philosophizing. So be informed, be better informed, act on it. The values start with the leader. Through the values, we determine how the organization thinks. The key leader is the person that enables the organization to care or not care. But what's the one thing? Perhaps I bring it back to the the task, the job is to create conditions for success for the team, for the people, for the leader themselves, for the organization, all the stakeholders. It's create conditions for success. And it's such a busy job and it's so varied. Perhaps that's the, the question in any given moment. How do I create conditions for success? create conditions for success in the next 15 minutes in the next meeting in whatever we're doing next Uh, that's my constant go-to I think how do I create conditions for success what's that going to take right here right now I like that I really like that I think the piece that I've been um, thinking about is and it's a big question that we all ask leaders is where do you spend your time but I'd add to that now following the podcast is how do you spend your time? You know, it's not only where, you know, if you draw that circle 100% of your time, where are you spending it? And I think one thing we're saying is you've got to spend a lot of time on people and a lot of time being strategic because you've got to look outside the business. You've got to challenge things. You've got to have this big picture of where the organization is going and be able to bring information in and challenges in. You've got to look at people. You've got to develop people. You've got to grow people. You've got to look at yourself and be honest and you've got to be honest with them. So I think there's where you spend your time, but then how in each of those instances you're showing up, you know, are you being honest? Are you being open? Are you being open with yourself? Are you being open with the others? And are you taking an easy way out or are you taking the right way out? Boy, there's a lot there. Who'd be a leader, eh? Yeah, you better know what you're getting yourself into. We've been talking a lot about the how. So let's grab Be Strategic as a title and we'll do a podcast around that in 2021. Are we done? I think we are. What are we doing next? I can, I can tell you exactly what we're doing next. A book and media review. Because we thought getting to the end of the year... People have read a bunch of books, we have, and we're going to share a few of our favourites from 2020. I'll get my books ready, Ian. This is a good moment to to say to everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great Christmas. Remember, you can email me at ben at benwales.com and ian at ianwindle.com. Have a great Christmas. Ian, thank you too. Have a great Christmas. See you back here in between Christmas and New Year. See you then, Ben. Bye.